Today's episode of Behind the Beverage is brought to you by BevSpot, empowering the global food and beverage industry with technology. By combining your restaurant's inventory and ordering data with beautifully designed, easy-to-use software, BevSpot can help you run a more efficient, more profitable business. Check them out today at BevSpot.com and schedule a consultation with one of their specialists to see how BevSpot can help you. That's BevSpot.com, B-E-V-S-P-O-T.com. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Beverage, where every other week we present you with the interesting histories and backstories of just about everything in the world of spirits, wine, beer, and beyond. I'm your host, Trevor Bernacci, and this week we're riding a Lupulin wave back in time to track the true story of IPA, an innovation in brewing born out of necessity that laid the groundwork for the craft beer craze of today. I've got a fresh beer by my side, so that means it's time to go. Behind the beverage. All right, all right, here we are, creeping into the dog days of summer in our first season of Behind the Beverage, and we're just getting into our first beer this week, which is IPA which gets me really excited because I've loved IPA for a long time. And if you're anything like me, you've been an IPA drinker for years now, and just like myself, you already know the history of IPA. In fact, you probably have spouted it off at several parties at least a dozen times, probably even if nobody asked you to do it. And as the legend goes, IPA was invented in the late 1700s by a brewer named George Hodgson. He realized that the beers being exported to British soldiers and colonials in India was spoiling on the ships due to the heat and hell-like conditions in the cargo holds. As a result of this, he figured out that by brewing a beer with a higher ABV and hop component, both of which act as natural preservatives, it wouldn't go bad in the hold of a ship over the four-month journey to India. Now that's a really great story that makes a hero out of one person who saw an issue and overcame with perseverance and ingenuity. Sadly, though, most of what I just said isn't actually 100% true. The reality is that IPA was the result of many hands trying time and time again to solve a huge cultural problem. The story is based in truth, though, and that's the true story of IPA that we're going to dive into this week. Now, much like bourbon in American distilling, IPA helped to forever change the course and history of British brewing. Historically, most beers were developed to showcase their flavor profiles and regions they were coming from, but IPA is one of the only beers ever created that serves a function. Ultimately, IPA was the solution to a problem, and a pretty big one at that for the British. Being the largest empire in the world since the Romans definitely had its perks, but it also came with its fair share of challenges as well. And one of those biggest challenges, of course, came in the form of shipping beer to the far corners of the world. In the 18th and 19th centuries, before the advent of refrigeration, beer just didn't hold up on long trips at sea, especially when it was bound for hot climates. Often, these shipments would arrive flat, sour, and sometimes just undrinkable. Now, it doesn't sound like such a big deal nowadays, right? Just ship some more beer. But back then, the beer was a huge part of the lives of millions of Brits. The trips were often months on end, and if the beer went bad on the way, that's a really long time for sailors to be without their brew. Not only for the cultural aspects it provided, but for the health benefits too, since beer is actually a great source of vitamin B. 
Sailors that were serving closer to home in the English Channel and even around the Baltic nations were actually issued a ration of one gallon of beer per day. 128 ounces of beer in a 24-hour period. That's a little bit more than I could probably handle every single day of the week. Now, due to the issues of shipping beer over long distances in hot climates and the effect the lack of beer had on their men, the Admiralty of the Royal Navy was really eager to find a way to transport beer to all corners of the world. And as early as the mid-18th century, ideas were getting thrown around by the Royal Society. Now, the Royal Society is what is known as a learned society, and according to their organization, it's the world's oldest independent scientific academy that's dedicated to promoting excellence in science. One of the earliest solutions the Royal Academy floated around involved freezing the water out of the beer to make it more concentrated with a higher ABV to help combat the spoilage. When that didn't take off, there were other suggestions that essentially brewers could par-brew beers to be super concentrated and then have the sailors finishing them off along the trip by adding water, yeast, and even spruce for flavoring. While this actually did work well in the cooler climates that the empire controlled, there still was the issue of the hot climates like India and the Caribbean colonies. Because of the inconsistency of this new method, it was quickly abandoned by the Royal Navy. Now, had these methods actually worked consistently and gained in popularity, it's quite possible that the Navy's alliance with rum would have been a lot less significant. Rum was fantastic for the Navy because its high ABV kept it from spoiling and kept up less space than the much larger barrels of beer. Since rum could be cut with water and citrus to stretch the stores, it became a much more appealing product to stow away on ships for long trips. This is what actually led to the invention of Navy-strength rum, but that's a topic for a whole nother week in this season. Now, in the end, the Royal Navy ultimately failed to solve their problem on their own, and the sailors and colonists continued to suffer from a lack of beer. And this doesn't sound like a huge problem nowadays, but this was a time when British colonists often preferred to drink beer than the local water where they were living, usually due to there being a lack of consistently clean drinking water. Regardless of the difficulties in servicing their newest territories, the British kept the Indian market open. The mere fact that they kept shipping anything to India is pretty amazing when you think about what the trip entailed. This was a three to five month passage from London to Bombay or Calcutta or even other distant ports. The ships would need to sail due south along the coast of Africa and around the Cape of Good Hope before heading north into the Indian Ocean and onto their ports of call. Now, even though the beer barrels would be stored in the lowest parts of the ships, the temperature fluctuations along the voyage were tumultuous at best. Going from 52 degrees Fahrenheit to 85 and back again several times absolutely skunked most of the beer they would have been carrying. So even if they were able to sell all the beer they shipped to India, it would take at least 6 to 12 months to get paid for the shipments they were making. That being said, why the hell did these brewers even bother with this mess? Well, first off, the climate in India at the time was far too hot for brewing beer without air conditioning, and that drove up the demand. Also, the rate to ship from London to Bombay was the same as shipping from London to Edinburgh. Strange, I know, but this was mostly because the spices and silks returning from the Far East more than covered the cost of sending the beer. So you combine the high demand of beer with the low shipping rates to India, and you've got the makings of huge profits for most breweries even attempting to ship their beer that far. Finally, the answer to Britain's great beer problem arrived. Surprisingly, not from an innovation in brewing technology, but rather a certain beer recipe. Our friend George Hodgson, who we were talking about at the top of the episode, began sending his Hodgson's India Ale across the seas in the 1790s. It was a version of his already popular pale ale that had been enjoyed by Londoners since the mid-1750s. 
Now, like I mentioned briefly before, before pasteurization and refrigeration were invented, a beer's only defense against spoilage was hops and alcohol. Bacteria can't survive as well in an alcohol-rich environment, and the hops stunted the growth of lactobacillus, which is a naturally occurring yeast that gives beer a sour flavor. This same yeast is actually used purposely in classic sour beer styles like lambics and goods, but in pale ales and porters of the time, it was considered an off-putting flavor profile. Well, old Georgie Porgy created his new recipe by heavily boosting the hop content and by raising the beer's starting gravity by starting out with more sugar and grains than the normal recipe would have called for. He also might be one of the earliest brewers to use the technique of dry hopping. This is where you add hops to the batch of beer after the primary fermentation process has ended. This added a whole other layer of protection against the onset of bacteria in each batch of beer. Hodgson also added more sugar to the barrels for priming than was used for normal pale ales at the time. This higher rate of priming sugar would have kept the yeast alive longer in the barrel, which also would have kept off flavors from developing quickly. Also, since the beer was being kept in porous wooden barrels, the leakage through the staves would have actually balanced out the higher levels of carbonation the beer would have had from the additional priming sugar, which would have kept the barrels from exploding. These changes resulted in a very alcoholic, bitter, sparkling ale that would survive the long trips to India and other tropical climates in the British Empire. Well, Hodgson's India Ale soon became legendary, and George would alienate friends and colleagues over the next 30 years until he held a veritable monopoly in beer on the East Indian market. All that was about to change, though, in 1821, when a dinner between one of Hodgson's rivals, Samuel Alsop, and the then head of the East India Trading Company changed the course of brewing history. Samuel Alsop was the owner of a brewery of the same name in the town of Burton-on-Trent in England. At that dinner, Mr. Alsop was lamenting the loss of trade routes to the Baltic colonies in the Napoleonic Wars of the early 1800s when he was alerted to the Indian market. He had been so focused on trade in the Baltic region for so long, he had no idea there was a beer trade going on in India. Well, he procured a bottle of Hodgson's India Ale and went directly to his head brewer to see if he could recreate it. His head brewer, Job Goodhead, first tasted Hodgson's Ale and immediately spit it out of his mouth, probably because of the intense flavors he had never experienced before. Well, he kept at it and he tested his first batch by actually using his teapot as a pilot brewing system, and within the next 12 months, both Alsop's Brewery and the legendary Bass Brewery were challenging Hodgson's India Ale on the market. Not only that, but they were producing beers that were paler, stronger, hoppier, and ultimately better products than that of Hodgson. Surprisingly, the secret to Burton's success was not in the recipes or even the brewing tactics, but rather in the water that was running through the area. Something that to this day, brewers around the world try to recreate wherever they are by adding supplemental minerals to their brewing water. Up until 1827, these beers were only available for export, but once they hit the local market, they were a huge success among local drinkers. Now, for a while, these beers were known by several different names, like pale ale prepared for the East and West India climate, which I know just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? Now, the first instance of the modern term India pale ale was printed in the Liverpool Mercury in 1835, and pretty much from then on out, we've been calling it by the same name. If we want to see the first instance of a true IPA showing up from an American brewery, we got to flash forward all the way to 1878 when Ballantine IPA was first brewed in Newark, New Jersey. Now, although the brand went defunct for a long, long time, it's since been revived in recent years and can still be purchased to this day. 
Leading into Prohibition, IPA and other ales were losing steam while lagering was becoming a more and more popular method of brewing in America. Because of that popularity, the only breweries in the U.S. who could really survive after Prohibition were the huge lagering houses like August Bush, mostly because they turned themselves into ice wholesalers during the 13 dark years the country was suffering under the 18th Amendment. The IPA revolution revved back up in 1972 with the invention of the Cascade Hop by Oregon State's USDA breeding program. The flavor profile of this new hop lays the groundwork for the style of beer now known as American IPA. Throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, the American market saw dozens of flagship IPAs launch that are still produced to this day. Beers like Anchor's Liberty Ale, Lagunitas IPA, Russian River's Pliny the Elder, and even more. In the last 10 years alone, the U.S. market has seen an absolute boom in IPA production, so much so that the Beer Judge Certification Program, or BJCP, has had to expand its IPA category to include around 10 to 12 subcategories for IPA alone. These include Black IPA, Red IPA, White IPA, and the current big man on campus, New England-style IPA. The NEIPAs of Vermont, like Alchemist's Hetty Topper or Lawson's Finest Liquid's Sip of Sunshine, have even become so popular that there's a driving route through the Green Mountain State now known to beer tourists as the IPA Highway. With the increasing number of adjuncts showing up in IPA, such as fruit, lactose, Britannomyces, and other experimental ingredients, it seems like brewers are never afraid to shake things up with their IPA recipes, which is actually quite fitting when you think about it. IPA was a style that was created out of endless experimentation, and it only seems right that it never lose that flexible reputation. And that's how we got to where we are today with IPA. I mean, who knew there was that much history going into every single ounce of IPA we drink? Before we wrap things up for this week, let's dive into our segment called Pro Tips and Fun Facts. Pro tip number one for IPA. Don't forget about beer when looking to pair beverages with food. Some people actually think the pairing of beer and food is much easier than wine. When it comes to pairing any drink with food, though, remember, flavor needs flavor. IPA has a very strong flavor profile, and it needs something bold to stand up to it. In this case, just remember where the beer's namesake came from, and you'll be good to go. Pair your next IPA with a nice, rich Indian curry, and you'll be well on your way to an amazing meal. Pro tip number two for IPA. If you're looking to get into IPA, but the hops seem like they're just too much for your palate, try getting started with an English-style IPA. They're generally higher in malt and use English hops, which tend to give off a softer, more balanced taste than their American counterparts. Again, think Americans versus Europeans, right? Big, brash, and bold versus a little bit more reserved, a little bit more laid back. That's how things are going to work with IPA, too. Alright, fun fact number one for IPA, the oldest trademark held in the world is actually held by Bass Brewing Company. That red triangle logo, they've held that trademark for that logo since 1876. Wow, that is a long time to hold a single logo, especially in this day and age when designs for companies just keep changing and changing. Alright, fun fact number two for IPA, it may have been all male brewers in England that eventually stumbled across the recipe for IPA, but they couldn't have done it without a little female assistance, so to speak. All hops that are used in brewing are actually the female component of the plant. The male plants are used exclusively to breed the plant, but when you see a field of hops growing, typically all of those plants are going to be female. So just like most of the best things in life, IPA as we know it would not be possible without a little female nudge in the right direction. 
And on that note, we've reached the end of today's episode. As always, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be coming at you with a brand new episode in just a couple of short weeks. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and on Spotify so you can always get updated on our latest episodes. In the meantime, keep those glasses full, have a great week, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Behind the Beverage. Behind the Beverage is brought to you exclusively by BevSpot. Visit them today at BevSpot.com to find out how their software can help you run a more efficient, more profitable restaurant. BevSpot, empowering the global food and beverage industry with technology. The Behind the Beverage theme song is written and performed by Ila Moana. Check them out anywhere you stream music, Ila Moana at Spotify, Pandora, or iTunes.